0: Hey there, and welcome to Upfront, a podcast that features conversations with Connecticut-based top performers who represent the very best in their field and how they are making an impact in their industry and here at home in Connecticut. Thanks for listening. Let's talk some trash on this episode. No, literally and why you should think more about your garbage. When it comes to throwing our food away, and I don't mean to offend anyone here, but most of us just toss it in the garbage, or maybe we put it in the sink disposal and grind it up. But throwing it away is bad. Why? Well, we're about to find out. Alexander Williams is the owner and the director of operations at Blue Earth Compost. After purchasing the fledgling business back in 2014, Alex has grown the company into a full-service food scrap collection business with 12 employees and approximately 2,000 customers. And they're crushing it. They're growing by leaps and bounds today. In 2017, Alex received the Northeast Recycling Council's Environmental Sustainability Leadership Award for Young Professionals in recognition of his efforts to solve the food waste crisis. That's no easy feat. On any given day, you can find Alex driving around in the Blue Earth compost truck, making sales to new customers or helping his employees grow at Blue Earth. How to make a tangible positive impact has always spoken to Alex, and that's exactly what he strives to do every day at Blue Earth compost and for our planet. I should also mention that I am a customer of Blue Earth Compost, and I love it for a lot of different reasons. There's no more smelly food in the garbage, I don't feel guilty about throwing it away, and I'm doing my small part to help the environment. I know I learned a thing or two from this episode about food waste, and I hope you will too.
1: Alex, how are you? good doing good today it's friday baby it
0: is friday um okay i always ask this question of everyone on the show um where are you physically at this moment in time
1: i am presently in my uh warehouse up here in the north end of hartford um yeah just hanging out in the office
0: okay most people do it from their office some people do it from home but uh makes sense where you are. All right. So I've talked a little bit about who you are and what Blue Earth Compost is in the introduction, but let's hear it from you. Tell us about Blue
1: Earth Compost. What are you guys all about? For sure. So I guess uh, from a nuts and bolts perspective, we are a food scrap collection service, um, residential, commercial, and events. So To make a long story short, we collect food waste from all sorts of different entities, if you will. People's houses, apartments, um, every kind of business you can think of. Um, And again, we do events as well. Um, At our core, we are an environmentally focused business trying to uh, make money while doing good, if you will. Um, Yeah, that's kind of what makes us tick for sure.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's funny. You say at events, I've run into your partner, Sam King quite a bit at events and you know, I'll give an example. Like if you're at like a food truck festival or something and you guys are there, it's always, I always find it interesting and entertaining when people come up with their trash because you have like the three different buckets or, you know, trash bins to put things in. And it's like, okay, this goes here, that goes there.
1: And you could throw that out over there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, everybody seems to have a different reaction for sure uh not many people are used to having to sort their trash in a sort of public setting like that if you will but yeah, uh, yeah we love doing it it's uh like you, just like you were saying it's a, a little bit of a funny experience for sure but um yeah we like being there to do it
0: yeah yeah
1: and just a quick side
0: story i have some really good friends in in Munich, Germany. And we were over there. Uh, God, I don't know. This must have been about 10 years ago or something. And I remember going to throw something out. Like, I said, where's your trash? And they said, oh, it's under. You pulled the, the drawer out. And we, I pulled this drawer out. And there literally were, like, four different bins with different yeah. co- colors on them. And I, I just kind of threw whatever into one of the bins. And my friend was like, oh, no, 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 no. That doesn't go in there. Definitely. And they yeah. were so so, like, light years ahead of us with, like, you know, trash separation. But we'll talk more about that later on. What I want to do is go back in time um, before we get to all the
1: amazing things you're up to today. Um, Where did you grow up? So I was born outside of D.C. uh, in Northern Virginia and lived there for about 12 years. Um, Mom worked in insurance. So when the satellite office down there closed, uh, she got moved back to home office here in Hartford, Connecticut. And, um, yeah, so I moved up here in 04, um, to West Hartford and uh, besides college lived there more or less ever since. Okay. And what was, what do
0: you remember of like growing up in the outside of DC? What was that like for
1: you? Yeah, for sure. Um, it was a good time, played a ton of sports. Um, yeah, a lot of, you know, just. Doing kids stuff, I guess. Learning how to ride bikes, and uh, our community there was really sort of close knit. All the houses that were on my block were post-war uh, little brick houses that were built for um, mainly like GIs coming back and working for the federal government. the The area boomed really. Hardcore after World War Two, mm. um, so like every house on the block was very similar. We were like eight feet away from each other, barely enough room for a driveway, stuff like that. So it was a tight knit community for sure. Um, yeah, it was a good time. Nice. And did you do you have any like,
0: you know, childhood aspirations, memories of that? Like, what what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't. Uh, <laughs> maybe I wasn't sort of. Uh, a classic kid in that sense. Like, I don't remember being like, I want to be a firefighter or an astronaut or a baseball player or whatever. Um, yeah, I think more sort of formative was when we moved to Connecticut, our backyard in West Hartford was like a a public park basically, but more or less of just woods. It wasn't really like a, a developed public park, if you will. Um, so we got to see and, um, Hang out with, if you will, bunch a lot of wildlife and other stuff like that. So, uh, even though we were very suburban uh, where we lived at, we still sort of had a little bit of a connection to nature. And I think that that, on top of just my parents' general like feelings on environmental issues, are pretty much what kind of shaped me into being interested in the stuff that I uh, am interested in today.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing how that kind of seeps into you via osmosis or your surroundings right big time yeah i mean yeah. we had
1: every kind of thing going through there from coyotes to deer my mom always had bird houses so we've always had like house wrens living in the place and whatnot so yeah just sort of again that connection to to nature nice um any brothers or sisters nope only
0: child only child yes, okay sir. so all the hopes and dreams everything relies yeah. with you
1: that's the 100% truth. <laughs> <laughs> I carry that with me every day. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. um, 100%, right? You mentioned sports. What kind of
0: sports did you play?
1: Yeah, when I was a kid, I played basically everything. Um, I started when I was young, young, like kindergarten, doing t-ball, basketball, um, the sports I ended up Picking up best or the sport I ended up picking up best on was tennis. Um, my dad was a big tennis player. Um, so, yeah, just I think like eight, maybe seven, eight years old, I started to play at um, this club in Arlington, Virginia. Again, the, the town I grew up in. And that sort of, again, just developed over time. And by the time I hit high school, I had basically uh, begun to focus solely on tennis and was able to make the team in college as well even though I didn't play too many competitive matches at that level um but still was on the team and yeah yeah that was that was the one that kind of became the choice out of all of them eventually nice yeah it's
0: interesting tennis um i can remember my parents playing tennis back in the 70s right <laughs> I'm, I'm probably a little older than you but like you know, everybody was into it back then, and you just had such you know American characters of uh, tennis, John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors, and all exactly. these these players that seem to be missing today. But um, that's a whole yeah. other topic.
1: <laughs> no, my father loves that stuff for sure. Like I said, he he always tennis was always his sort of choice because he saw it as sort of like a lifelong sport. You know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. He still plays today, so. um yeah, I think that's the truth for sure. And the guys you mentioned are sort of uh, cultural sports icons and heroes for him for sure. So, yeah, similar experience to your parents, definitely. Do you still play? Yeah, for sure. Not as much as I uh, used to, if you will. Um, some injuries maybe have slowed me down a bit, but I've got plans <laughs> to get out with dad tomorrow and just hit the ball around. So we'll see how it goes. Nice. Do you ever play at the courts over in Elizabeth Park? Yeah, he actually does a lot. He's got uh, hooked up in the last year or so with a group of people who play over there like three days a week or something like that. So he's uh, yeah, he's out there getting his exercise for sure. He's 71. But yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I walk my dog in that park quite cool. a bit, quite a bit. And we always stop to to watch the tennis players. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be
1: surprised if you'd seen him out there again. he's He's out there many multiple times a week for sure.
0: I've definitely seen them. All right.
1: So um, with
0: all that sports stuff, what would you say you've taken from sports and applied it? How do you apply it in your role today? Anything from that experience?
1: Yeah, it's a good question for sure um, that I honestly haven't thought of before. I guess tennis specifically is a very uh, mentally taxing sport. Um, Maybe all of them are, but individual ones maybe (laughs) to a – Slightly different level when you don't have a teammate to rely on, um, so maybe that's helped me out a little bit for sure, owning a company, especially I don't really have a background to be honest with you in sort of business or anything like that. so I kind of have learned this on the fly, and that has definitely come with its challenges, let's say. Mm. Um, so maybe it made me a little bit more mentally tough and you know capable of rolling with the punches and just getting the job done at the end of the day um, for sure.
0: Yeah, no, we'll we'll talk about um, some of that business stuff later. But that is interesting that um, you know you you don't have any per se quote unquote formal business education. Which yeah. sometimes you know l- let's be honest, sometimes you learn more by doing than reading or you know sitting in a classroom. I don't want to feel dis- that way completely. To be yeah, I don't mean to dismiss it. You know, higher <laughs> education or anything like that. But you know, sometimes just doing it is the way to do it.
1: Yeah, I went to a four-year school, liberal arts, the whole nine, spent a ton of money. And uh, I feel like I wonder sometimes what it would have happened if I had just gone to like a trade school or something like that and learned how to do something more uh, applicable to everyday life, if you will, like fix my car or whatever, so I didn't have to constantly pay people to do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, look, it's like... You know, even community colleges like you know Gateway Community College or Manchester Community College, these places, you know, the, the four year typical college is not for everyone, right? Sure. It's like there's tons of jobs, whether it's manufacturing or whatever, that you know you can learn these skills in other places. So
1: exactly, uh, yeah. the programs that they've been setting up at the at the schools, the community colleges in the, in the state you're talking about. All the like, advanced manufacturing stuff, Like, I appreciate that stuff big time. I think it's um, a valuable use of time, to say the least. Um, yeah. Mm. Okay, so you mentioned mom worked in insurance. What did your dad do? Yeah, dad had a bunch of jobs. Uh, his main one was he actually was a, a docent at the U.S. Mint when we lived in the D.C. area. So he would give tours, basically, of the, where they printed the money. Interesting. Um, that was before my time, or before I really, you know, like understood um, yeah. what a job was, if you will. But um, yeah, he uh, after that he's done a bunch of different stuff and uh, has been retired for quite a while at this point. He honestly helps out with the business for since the beginning for sure, um, doing physical labor with me you know, collecting buckets, cleaning buckets, just, you know, running routes the whole night. He still goes out there twice a week right now. So, um, yeah, a little bit of here and there.
0: I thought you were going to say he's, he, he was a professional tennis player. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> no,
1: no, no. we always say that he should have become a professor. Um, he reads like yeah. constantly and nonfiction too. He doesn't read any fiction at all. I think like Siddhartha is the only fiction novel he's read ever in my life. Um, Mm. um, And that's like kind of nonfiction as well, I guess, in a way. So yeah, we always say that he should have been a professor, but uh, he was maybe a little too much of a hippie when he was younger to be focused on something like that. But he's made (laughs) it work. That's all there is to it. Were were your parents like hippie like? Uh, Dad, mom, the complete opposite. They met when uh, they were uh older if you will. Uh yeah. they, they got married when my dad was 35 and my mom was 30. Um so maybe that's not actually that much older, but it was uh <laughs> maybe in past decades and generations it was. Yeah. Um but yeah, mom very much the opposite four-year college, got a business degree. You know, studied abroad, um, the whole nine, went to work for the Hartford Insurance Company right out of college. Her dad was a VP there. So, um, yeah, kind of like went right into that business world. Dad, again, jumped around. <clears throat> he went to University of Texas El Paso for a couple of years, spent a lot of time in Mexico while he was there. <laughs> um, yeah, Then came back and went to the University of Indiana where he's from for a couple of years and then to D.C. to work for the federal government. And that's how that job at the Mint came to fruition. Mm. Yeah. So
0: it's interesting. I, you know, I asked that stuff because, you know, what kind of it kind of leads up to this question. What kind of values did your parents instill in you that that you carry with you today?
1: Yeah, um, I would say that an answer that I gave earlier is definitely one of them. Um, They've always been very environmentally focused, um, you know, very sort of liberal in their politics (laughs) and in in all its different varieties. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I guess that would probably be the biggest one. Uh, mom's a real hard worker too. Um, you know, like never missing a day of work kind of stuff. So yeah, those two things for sure.
0: And So you mentioned you're uprooted from the DC area. Um, And then you come here to west hartford um was it like culturally shocking for you was it like just totally different like how old were you again i was 12
1: when we moved yeah
0: yeah so was it like oh wow this is this is different
1: yeah it's a good question um so i moved right in the middle of a school year which sucked big time Uh, oh i bet it was seventh (laughs) grade i was weird we all were weird um that was a little bit of a transition to say the least for sure. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the cultural difference, I mean, we lived in Northern Virginia, which although it might be technically the South is not really the South. So, um, where
0: specifically
1: uh, the town was called Arlington. It's now it's a city. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, (laughs) I mean, we've been back a bunch since we moved and, it's an it's obscene the amount of development that's occurred since we've gone away um like every house on the block that we lived on which again used to be like these little maybe 1200 square foot brick houses you know what i mean or yeah. now like have full on additions in the back and are worth like 2 million dollars each like it's a, it's kind of madness down there but when we were there it was much calmer uh much you know, sort of more slower pace than it is now um I guess the biggest shock again was like the the proximity of the houses literally like it lent itself I would say to more uh, uh relationships and um yeah just like neighbors doing more with each other you know what I mean like the the street I grew up on was just one block and there were tons of kids and everybody played together like the kid down the street was really into rollerblading the kid across the street was into BMX bikes you know all this kind of stuff so people just hung out and then when i moved to connecticut although there were definitely kids in the neighborhood you know yeah let's say people people stick to themselves a little bit more up here they talk a lot less to their neighbors (laughs) for sure and our houses are much more spread out again we moved to a house that is on a corner of a cul-de-sac and it went from taking my dad like 45 minutes to mow the whole yard in virginia to like two and a half hours you know what i mean (laughs) so it just like more.
0: yeah. Yeah, that's um, unusual for West Hartford because some of the houses are literally on top of each other here. Like I, yeah, I, exactly. I I I I joke when, you know, especially up and down like Farmington Avenue or Asylum where these houses, you could like pa- pass the salt to a neighbor through the window, right. right?
1: Yeah, that's a great <laughs> analogy for like if you can imagine that but even Sort of smaller homes and s- closer together. That's what the neighborhood that I grew, in, grew up in looked like. Yeah, we The area we moved to in West Hartford is over off Mountain Road. So yeah. let's say later development. I think the house was built in like the 60s or something like that. So um, yeah, again, definitely much more spread out for sure.
0: Where Now, where did you go to um, high school? Did you go to Conard or yep. Hall? Yep. Conard? Exactly. Okay. And then – you know, how would you say, what, what were you like in high school? Were you like the, you know, breakfast club, right? Were you like the cool sure. kid? Were you like,
1: <laughs> uh, definitely not one of like the, the popular kids, if you will. But, um, played sports. Like I said, I was on the tennis team. Um, I skateboarded a lot when I was a kid. I loved mm. to skateboard, even though I was not good at it. I never really had the, uh, let's say, mental willingness to break bones and stuff like that. So I got Same as far as I could, and I still enjoyed the process of, you know, hanging out and, and just riding around. I switched to more long boarding, um, yeah. when I was older. So again, that was fun for sure. But yeah, high school, hanging out sports. I did good in school. I was always a good student and not really for any reason of like, excessive studying or anything i just kind of got it you know what i mean um you paid attention paid attention <laughs> there you go like that's 90 percent of the battle when you're that age is I, I remember distinctly kind of being a a little bit of a not the best kid in um uh, in middle school towards the end and then I remember, I distinctly remember somebody saying, like, when you get to ninth grade, it starts to count, you know, like everything you do is going to show up when you try to uh, apply for a college yep. Uh, yep. and stuff like that. So I maybe kind of turned it around a little bit just off of that one statement. But, um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, it's true. It's like I always tell people, like, it, you know, young cousins and things like that, like, just just pay attention and be an active participant. 100%. and and you'll do okay. You won't be one of these kids like cramming, or, like studying for three hours the night before, like, oh, I have a test tomorrow. It's like, you should already know it, you know? So I agree
1: with what you said completely. Like 90% of the battle is just being there, you know? Yeah. Just if be present. If you're just there and you're somewhat listening, I think you're going to be fine. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, okay. So after high school, where, where did you go to college?
1: I went to Fordham University uh, in the Bronx. Oh, very nice. Yes, sir.
0: I I uh I know the area pretty well. Arthur yeah. Avenue, right? You go over mm-hmm. there, get some get some good Italian food, and then Absolutely. go visit the Bronx Zoo.
1: So <laughs> yeah, we were we were literally right across from the zoo and uh, the Botanic Gardens. Um, yeah, it was a isolated campus to say the least. But uh, I did my damnedest to get out and you know experience the city for uh, the years that I was there. Um, yeah, it was a good time.
0: What was your um, major? What did you go to school to study? Just liberal arts?
1: Uh, Yeah, exactly. It was all – it was – the vast majority of the degrees there are liberal arts. It's a Jesuit school. I didn't go because of that. I just went there because it was the best school I got into in New York City, Um, and I wanted to go to a city really bad. I was very sort of fed up, if you will, with suburban life when I was a teenager, and now – I live right back in West Hartford, and I love it. So there's the sort of age difference, if you will, in that uh, thought process. But, uh, yeah, I was yeah. steadfast in wanting to go to a city um, when I was graduating high school. So, uh, yeah, went to Fordham, and um degree was called Environmental Policy, but it basically was Environmental Studies. It didn't have anything specific to do with like governmental policy. It just was the name that they gave it.
0: Hmm. Interesting though, it kind of comes a little bit full circle in a way, yeah. right? The environment and what you're doing now, but it, it's interesting you say that because I, I never left Connecticut to go to school. Um, although I had that same burning desire to like, you know, get sucked into like the city. I would go. I would go to the city all the time. I mean, sure. at 18 years old, my friends and I would either hop on the bus, hop on Metro North, or even drive into the city and. Just you know, sneak into nightclubs. You go to places like exactly. you know Limelight and stuff like that, and yeah. and c- couldn't wait. And it always talked about it like I'm moving to New York, got to move to New York. And then it was like, got a little older, and it was like, no, I kind of like it where I am. Exactly, yeah, you know? I like being able to dip in and, and dip out. But did you get sucked into the city like lifestyle at all? It's a there? good.
1: It's a good question. I think to an extent is the answer that I would give. Again, I was in school so I wasn't really living living in the city. I only moved off campus for the last 2 years of school and again, we were like right outside cuz it's not like you're going to live if you go to Fordham Rose Hill, the campus in the Bronx, you're not living too far afield. Let's put it that way, you know what I mean? Yeah. You go to the campus Lincoln Center down in Manhattan and maybe you, you know, get more of a neighborhood vibe where you live and stuff like that, but um Yes, to an extent I definitely did. Again, I was real gung ho about it. So I remember like first week taking the little card that they gave us with the subway maps on it and just riding, you know what I mean, just going everywhere. I'm real like uh uh like good with directions, I guess is how I would put it. Like yeah. my mom's the same way. She's got almost like a photographic memory for directions. If you bring her back to Arlington, she can get anywhere in that town even though she hasn't lived there for almost 20 years, you know what I'm saying? So Mm. I was real into that part of the city. Like my, my minor in college was urban studies and I should have got a double major. I just, you know, screwed up if you will, senior year and didn't take a class that I was supposed to. But that's what I really wanted to do when I was there was, uh, urban planning of some variety. You know what I mean? Like I just loved how everything moved around. And so I did as much as I could to, uh, yeah, to do that myself, basically. Um, again, a lot of skateboarding um, all over the city. Just lots of going out, clubs, bars, music venues, the whole, whole nine. So, um, yeah, like I said, while I was there, I, I did my best to integrate myself into that kind of stuff.
0: So now you graduate, right? You go to Fordham, you graduate. W- what did you do after? Like, where where did you go?
1: Yeah, so I had a couple... Um, Internships in college doing stuff that surrounded environmental issues. The last one was composting, which again kind of segued into um, mm. Blue Earth. So I, I stuck around for a couple months after I graduated in the city and continued to do that internship at an organization called Build It Green, which is, uh, I was working out of their location in Queens. They were composting underneath the Queensboro Bridge over there. Um, so did that for a couple months and then I came back to Connecticut in like September. Um, this was, this would have been 2013 when I graduated, <clears throat> um, and just kind of look for a job. Honestly, I had a couple interviews with like, uh, again, just environmental nonprofits was mostly the places I was applying to, saw the article about blue earth in the, in the current. And that's what kind of led me on the path I am now.
0: Okay. So. What, what, I'm not familiar with the article. What 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 did you see in the current?
1: So the the founder um, again. Her name was Susanna Castle. Um, she got a good number of articles written about Blue Earth when they when the company was first first founded. Um, which again was right. It was literally the same time I came back from school. So the timelines just sort of coincided nicely with each other. And so, what year is that? 2013. The fall of okay. 2013. So 2013. So, yeah. My mom, you know, my mom and my dad read the paper uh constantly. I'm staring at a stack of articles and my dad saved for me right now. Um they did the same thing back then. They just handed me this article, told me like, hey, you should reach out to this woman. Uh you got experience doing this kind of stuff. You're kind of having a little trouble finding a job. Um do it. So I did it and um yeah, sort of the rest is history from there. Okay, so I want to dive deeper into that. So what was okay. that like? Did you just
0: contact Suzanne, were you like, Hey, I'm interested in your company. Like what was the article about? Was it about just the profile in the company or
1: Uh, to the best of my knowledge? Again, it was sort of like a a profile on her, her experience, what sort of led her to start this service and then what the service was about. Um, She had been living in one of the apartment buildings in the center of West Hartford, one of the older ones that has, and they had trash chutes that kept getting clogged up with food waste. And she had, uh, um, just been thinking about how to solve that problem, if you will, Mm. and had remembered a service down in uh, uh, Durham, North Carolina. She went to Duke for grad school. So there was a service down there who was doing food waste collection. She sort of put the two and two together and started her own service up here. So, yeah, the article was just sort of about all of that, and I reached out literally just – I think I sent her an email, if I remember correctly, and told her about my experience at these internships um, doing composting work, and we met up. She agreed to let me sort of uh, intern, if you will, with her because she definitely didn't have money to like pay an employee um, by any means at that point. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I did that sort of internship with her for about six months, and that's when uh, she had to relocate. Her husband was the manager of REI here in West Starford. He was taking a job all the way on the West Coast, north of L.A. to manage a much bigger store out there. So they up and moved, and we bought Blue Earth at that point. So
0: and you don't have to disclose finances or whatever, but it's a little unique because the company was founded by someone else. Yeah. Uh, but they left it in your capable hands. Mm-hmm. Um, what like what shape was the company when you took it over? How, like, was it like ten people,
1: ten customers, hundred? What like tell me about that? Totally, yeah, it was uh, fledgling to say the least. Um, I think the exact number was twenty-two customers uh all residential that she had, mainly again in West Hartford and the West End of Hartford. Um she was collecting in the back of like a VW golf station wagon, literally. Um so it was by no means like a fully fledged developed business at all. It was uh yeah, let's say one percent of everything was figured out at that point <laughs> in time. Um so yeah. and, it
0: it and you know f- Full disclosure for everyone listening. I'm a cust- a customer client, patron, whatever you want to call it of, of Blue Earth. So how this works, and and you know, Alex, you did a great job explaining it earlier, but from my perspective, how it works is I put compostable food into you know a green bucket with mm-hmm. that has like a special lined bag. Mm-hmm. And I keep it, I keep it under my kitchen sink. And and then on Fridays, that's my collection day. Um, I put it in the in the collection area um, and you guys come and pick it up. I get a nice, fresh, new, clean bucket. But what I love about this is, you know, the value proposition or the trade off, because, you know, in, in this era of, you know, having Netflix subscriptions and Spotify subscriptions, it's like, OK, I'm paying X number per month to now have my my food, pick, you know, my compost. Or trash picked up if you will Mm -hmm. um why should i do it and i know why i should do it i do it for personal reasons because i want to do the right thing and i want to help the environment and all that but you guys have a cool trade-off or value proposition you you give people like these gigantic 50 pound bags of compost Mm -hmm. so uh, explain that to me how how many times a year can i get that because i don't even know
1: (laughs) yeah sure there we go we'll do a little customer service right now too <laughs> um yeah so we each customer is uh, allotted 350 pound bags yearly we used to deliver them on a schedule but now that we have so many customers it's way too difficult to do that so we just uh allow them to request it whenever they want it which means that we get slammed every spring uh like bad <laughs> to be honest with you yeah um So, yeah, again, everybody is allowed 350-pound bags a year. We deliver it when we collect the pail and kind of go from there.
0: That's amazing.
1: And, okay, so you took
0: it over. There's like 22 people. Mm -hmm. Where where are you guys today in terms of customers?
1: Yeah, so residentially, uh, we've got about 1,600 ballpark um, residential customers. Our service territory is more or less a big if you draw a big circle around Hartford, yeah, uh, and, and then we've got satellite locations in uh, Middletown, down on the shoreline in Branford, Guilford, and Madison, sort of east of New Haven, and then we've also got some collections happening in the Greenwich and Stamford area as well. Um, commercially, so we added a commercial service uh, which wasn't there when I bought the business. We added that about a year or so after I purchased it. So call it spring of 2015. And with that service, we have upwards of 200 locations that we collect from, probably closer to 250 at this point in time. Wow! Um, yeah, that's a uh, that's most of the volume that we move for sure. We we collect a, a literal ton of material um, when we're doing the commercial work for sure. Any municipalities involved? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, that's something that. Um, my partner, Sam, who you mentioned earlier has really focused on, uh, over the last call it year or two. Um, we've got, we were the first company to uh, sort of roll out a formal municipal program in the state of Connecticut down in Middletown. Uh, we collect from all of the restaurants and businesses along main street that produce food waste. Um, so yeah, we've had that one going for quite a while. We've done a, uh, a pilot program on the residential level in Branford, um and we do a lot of transfer station programs as well on uh again on the municipal side just delivering containers to the transfer station and then people bring their food waste there when they're bringing their trash and they recycling and whatever wow yeah that it, it, it
0: blows my mind because i thought it was just a much smaller operation but you guys are like you know crushing it you're yeah
1: <laughs> yeah you're- no, it's, it's definitely not uh I feel like we definitely and rightly so to an extent. We're labeled that way for a long time. Um again, we collect residentially in these tiny little buckets, so it maybe visually lends itself to that idea. But yeah, I mean at this stage we've got six trucks. We got a third dump truck on the way. We've got twelve people working for us. I don't even know what poundage we're at yet, but we're I would say we're probably close to twenty five million pounds diverted over the course of the whole business's existence. Um yeah, we're doing our 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 best to make an impact. And I
0: read somewhere, uh, I think I read it on your website actually, that we throw we as people throw forty percent of our food away into the landfills.
1: Mm-hmm. That, that yeah. seems
0: that seems nuts to me.
1: Yeah, so that's sort of the law. That forty percent is the loss throughout the whole food chain. So that's something that not your average everyday person is going to think about, really. But there's an absolute ton of food waste that is created before it even gets to your house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it's on the farm, it's in packaging, transportation, warehousing, the whole nine. Like there's a chunk of it, if you will, is taken out at every step of the process, Um, and that continues all the way to the consumer. You know, you Mm. everybody's had rotting food in their kitchen and refrigerator everybody throws out a little bit uh, of stuff that they can't eat banana peels you know bones from chicken or whatever it might be so there's food waste created throughout the whole supply chain if you will and uh yeah that's mm. what we're trying to collect and and so
0: why is that bad? Like, why is food going into landfills bad? Or is it not bad? Because some people might argue, well, it's organic. It's it's organic. It's just going to get sucked up into the earth anyway. So big deal.
1: That'd be nice, right? Um, so actually, food waste, if you took it as a whole, like across the globe, um, it produces the third most greenhouse gas emissions if it was a a country basically so if you took the emissions that come from food waste globally it would only be behind the u.s and china in terms of uh, greenhouse gas emissions from all the negative impacts that it has this mainly comes from landfilling it when you landfill food waste it decomposes Oozes oh, in a non in an anaerobic environment, so without oxygen, because there's no, it can't breathe when it's piled in there with all the other garbage. When that occurs, food waste emits a lot of methane gas, mm. and methane is a greenhouse gas that is many, many, many times more potent than carbon dioxide. Yeah. Um, so again, when you landfill it, it is terrible. It's god awful for the environment. Um, yeah yeah so sort of the long and short of it for yeah sure. no i get it and and so my
0: question is like why then wouldn't towns i mean you know there's a big move to like do recycling like we have recycling bins and uh, put your newspapers in here and put your cans and all that why aren't towns just doing this like saying here here's the third bucket or four whatever it is sure you need to like start throwing your food in this thing for the following reasons are yeah. they just like They don't have the manpower, the foresight. What's the deal?
1: Yeah, at this stage of the game, it really comes down to economics, you know what I mean? We have been, in America specifically, we've been in this uh, waste culture, if you will, for so many decades now where you just throw something and it disappears. People don't think about where their trash is really ending up, you know what I mean? So metal glass plastic paper recycling really started to catch steam in the 90s and has continued to develop and now we have single stream which is uh, um good it, it diverts a lot of material it has increased tonnages it maybe causes some problems in terms of contamination for sure but at its core it's a good um process you know what i mean it's it's <clears throat> removing recyclable material from the waste stream the The sort of, I guess, main reason uh, that I know of as to why that maybe is more developed than food waste recycling is because there is a much easier way to monetize the recycling of those commodities. Because you, again, you can recycle them and sell them and uh, make money off of them. You can make aluminum back into aluminum cans. You know, the list goes on. So maybe there's a little bit more of a economic ability to recycle that material. Yeah, food waste is a little bit more difficult because there's not the large-scale infrastructure, if you will, in America to process it properly, return it, and make it into compost, and then return it to the soil. Mm. Um, a lot of our recycling, as, as you may know, uh, historically has been shipped overseas to be processed. Um, that changed a little bit when China changed their policy because we were sending them too much contaminated recycling, which was basically garbage. but um, you, the, the point that I'm making is you can't ship food waste overseas. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't load a tanker up with, you know, hundreds of thousands of gallons of food waste, ship it across the Pacific and expect it to be in a state that any country wants to deal with when it gets there. So we've got to develop those sort of local resources to process this material, which is occurring. Um, it's going to take time. There's no doubt, but that's one of the things that, i personally find so impactful about food waste uh composting about diverting that material from the the regular trash is it's a local recycling process you know Mm. what i mean you produce it here you compost it or you digest it here and you return it to the soil here that Mm. in a nutshell is exactly what we should be doing sort of society or economy whole in every aspect that we possibly can that sort of circular idea is how you you know, make things not broken at the end of the day. Amen.
0: Amen to that. Yes. So, you know, and explain composting if you can, like in layman's terms, because, you know, to to me it's, you know, you put, you put your uh, compostable material or food waste into uh, a, a bucket. And I, I just think like it has like the scientific process that breaks things down Yep. And then what? I don't know. I just picture like a pile of mush and I don't
1: know what happens. Sure. So um, composting at its, uh, you know, at its most basic form is just like the, the sped up decomposition of organic material. So in this case, with food waste, you're going to take your food waste. You're going to mix it with what we refer to as browns, which can be things like dried leaves or wood chips. Uh, cardboard, certain kinds of cardboard can be used as a browns material. Those are going to provide a carbon source, while food waste is going to provide a nitrogen source. If you mix those two things together in the proper ratio and you make sure that there uh, is a good amount of oxygen and moisture in that pile, it will just naturally break down. The bacteria and the bugs that are inside of that pile basically eat the food waste um, and they turn it into compost. Um, mm. It'll happen again. This this process happens naturally all the time in the wild. I mean, you've walked through the woods and you've seen, you know, a bus, a, a fallen down tree that is basically disintegrating, stuff like that. Composting, very similar. It's just humans, uh, you know, speeding up the process more or less. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and
0: I see that quite a bit
1: when I'm out mountain biking
0: um, yeah. at, at the reservoir up in West Hartford. You know, the tree falls, that's it. It's there. Definitely. That's all there is <laughs> um, to it. So this is a big question. How how do we get people behind this? Because you know the business I'm in, the business you're in, we, we all know like changing behavior is an incredibly challenging thing to do. Absolutely. You know how how do we get people involved or behind like composting?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think uh, it's obviously multifaceted. Uh, what we're doing today is. Definitely one of the pillars, in in my opinion, in my company's opinion, is just education. Um, the more that you know about different topics, whatever it might be, yep. hopefully the more informed you are, the more capable and willing you'll be to make the right decision. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's still when when you know so much about something like I do about this business and sort of this uh, this issue, you it it still sort of amazes you sometimes when people know less but you can't think that way. You know what I mean? You, mm. you've, you've got to educate people. I, I always talk about the sales process here at blue earth is 90% education and 10% trying to get that person to sign up for the service. You know what I mean? So again, what we're doing here, I think is a big pillar of that. Um, and I'm a big proponent of, you know, like frankly, forcing people to do the right thing. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> if you've got a good idea, uh, And you can sort of work out the kinks and you can put a good plan into place on sort of a a governmental policy level. You should do that. You know what I mean? Like if the individual citizens aren't going to make the choice of their own volition for whatever reason, then make it for them. You know what I mean? If uh, If you know that the end result is going to be a positive one like it would be in this case, then make it happen. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and that happened with like, you know, paper recycling and, and exactly. you know, all of a sudden it was like, because I remember being a kid, it was just like, we had, you know, the trash can that was just put out at the end of the driveway. Then all of a sudden it was like, no, wait, we've got to get this blue bin now and put, you know, those type of recyclables in that thing. Exactly. So that was, you know, too much of what you're saying was like kind of the the forced, you know, aspect of it.
1: Hundred percent. I think uh, yeah. like one one thing I always point to is uh, is grease recycling. So like you've mm. you've been behind a McDonald's before or something like that, and you've seen their oil drums or their little dumpster that holds the grease in it. Oh yeah. I don't I don't know how long ago this occurred, um, but it's it's illegal to put that down the drain. Like you can't yeah. do it because it gunks up the pipes, and then the water authority has to clean them out, and it costs millions of dollars and all this kind of stuff. When I sit here today and I think about that. I think to myself while food waste might not be, you know, like gunking up infrastructure or something like that, throwing it away is severely severely damaging our planet and I yeah. can't, I can't make that statement clear enough like it's very very bad the way that we deal with this specific waste stream. So if we can pass laws to get it out of to get grease out of the, you know, sewage pipes because They don't want to pay the money to clean them. We can definitely pay the money and enact the laws to divert food waste out of the landfill. When again, it's literally, like it's literally spelling the demise of our world. (laughs) Yeah. No. It's one of the. Yeah. It's
0: one of those things. It's like, oh, if we put the oil down the drains, we're gonna clog the pipes up. We're gonna have to dig the roads up. We're gonna have to replace. You know, there's a tangible thing you could see and feel with, with with you know greenhouse emissions and, 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 you know, pollution that way in the environment, people, people just can't see it. So they don't think it's doing anything.
1: That is the literal, you know, that is the, the, the lot that environmentalists have been dealt in life for sure is trying to scream from the mountaintops that something (laughs) very bad is coming. And most people don't see it because they don't experience it in their daily life. But I mean, a great example of this is where I'm sitting right now in the north end of hartford if i if i look out the back of my building i'm staring right at the old landfill um next to 91 up here in the north end Yep. i have an employee who literally lives right across the street from us and his wife whose family has owned that house for a long time tells stories about how when that landfill you know was getting filled up it reeked it was god awful you know and oh i, mean, I can it, remember you know, it it was horrendous. It was, it was, <laughs> it, there's a reason it's capped right now. Yeah. And, uh, that's a large part of it. So again, if you try to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who, yep. you know, lives in a scenario like that or lives right next to an incinerator or something like that, while you might not be experiencing it in the specific place that you live in somebody is. So if you need something tangible to associate it with, you know, yeah. Keep yeah. that in mind if you no, I, I can
0: remember when that was being built I don't know when that all happened but I remember being on like 91 the highway yeah. 91 driving through in the summertime on a hot August day and you'd oh, be like Lord oh man roll the window up exactly. you know <laughs> it's like hold, exactly. your, hold your breath we want to dive into your head and learn more about you as a person, the choices, the things you do that make Alex, Alex. Um, take us through your daily routine. Are you like an early morning person or are you best late in the day?
1: Early morning, every day, all day, baby. Uh,
0: What time do you get up? Are you like four o'clock, five, six?
1: Yeah. At a At a bare minimum, I'm naturally waking up by 6.30 in the morning. Generally, I'm up much earlier than that with an alarm because, you know, the day has got to begin. That's it.
0: Early bird gets the worm, right, Mm -hmm. as they say. Um, Do you have any special kind of morning routines? Do you, like, meditate? Do you go for a jog?
1: Do you not look at email? What's your morning routine like? You know, I wish I could say that I sort of do any of those you know good things for myself, but my morning routine is generally uh, get out of the house as quick as possible and get to work so that I can make sure that uh we're getting the job done properly that day okay and you're fighting this
0: fight right like we're talking about this invisible force of the environment and so forth and it, and it sometimes could be daunting or sometimes you might not feel well you guys are making a difference, but sometimes you might feel like your back's up against the wall sure um where do you find inspiration what keeps
1: you going yeah that's a great question and i've said this a million times um the tangible aspect of our business is the thing that always drew me to composting and still to this day sort of keeps me going if you will every day that we're here picking up food waste getting it to the right spot we're making a difference so even if you know something isn't going right personally for me I read a news story that, that you know, pisses me off or makes me real sad or whatever. I always know that at a bare minimum, if I'm getting my job done on a daily basis, I'm doing something good and positive. Um, again, that tangible aspect was always the most important thing to me for sure. Nice. And so you're, you're kind of like the leader of it all there. Would you say you have
0: like 20 or, or 12 people working for you? Yeah, exactly. What's your leadership style
1: like? Mm, that's a good one. Uh very personal. Um, again, my parents and I bought the business together. Um, we didn't bring another person on until a couple years after that. So even though it maybe wasn't like a traditional family business, like parents pass it down to kid, it's always been that style. So I've always created very, you know, uh strong bonds with my employees, if you will. <clears throat> I I walk the walk if you will like I do a lot of the hard work as well and had to back in the day before I had employees so I understand the struggle I never ask anybody to do something that I haven't uh done many times over and probably worse back in the day when we didn't have as good of a system set up so I always try to like uh you know sympathize if you will and make sure that my people who are out there have the tools and the you know support that they need to get the job done properly nice Yeah, I love that kind of leadership
0: style. You're in the trenches doing the work, too, right? I think there's a great... I always...
1: Yeah, I I have a real problem, to be honest with you, (laughs) which is a good thing and a bad thing, like (laughs) not working when my people are out there. You know what I mean? It sucks for taking vacations because you're like trying to relax, and you're like, I'm not relaxed right now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I kind of always like to be there when my people are out there and my trucks are on the road and stuff like that, but um, we're trying to work on that sort of work-life balance and uh some of the things you were talking about earlier i did do my physical therapy exercises this morning you know what i mean so i'm trying i'm trying my best
0: well you bring up a good point work-life balance you know like what do you what do you do to disconnect because that's important right you you know um is there anything you do to disconnect sometimes i mean
1: yeah uh i love to uh garden not too much vegetables like Plants, flowers, stuff like that. So, my yard is constantly got something to do in it. It's very meditative in a way to get out mm. there, if it's also somewhat physically painful to, like, you know, weed uh, uh, all the time. Um, I like to hike quite a bit when my, you know, body allows me to do it. Um, and my sort of most recent uh, obsession, if you will, is. Uh, cars. I um, I brought up earlier, like you know, thinking about sometimes what it would have been like if I had done a trade versus a liberal arts education. So even though I did the latter, I have very much tried to over the last couple of years uh, learn stuff about the former. So I work on my Jeep a lot, too much. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I like to get out there and turn a wrench. And again, it it's a process of doing something. That's mentally uh taxing to an extent, yeah, good way to get my mind off of the other stuff that I have to deal with on a regular basis.
0: you know it's it's interesting you bring up the car hobby because I wonder if someday, like I, I don't know, I think it's like technology you know, you open up the hood of a car now and it's just like a flat panel, yeah, you know, and maybe a, a dipstick for the oil, yeah, and, okay. yeah, and like like is that art of like tearing down a car and rebuilding it and modifying the engine like going away mm-hmm. you know i think it's disappearing in a way unless you're just you know working on these amazing classic old cars you know For sure. uh,
1: you're 100% right uh that's why i like jeeps um i only got into them not that long ago but the even even ones that aren't that old are very much um yeah, are very much workable. On let's put it that way, you know. What yeah. I mean? So you get under there and you can change all different things with the suspension and you know the axles, the everything. It it the it runs the gamut to say the least. So again nice. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I like them so much. What kind of Jeep do you have? I have a 2013 Wrangler. Okay.
0: When I was in, you know, I I, I begged my mother in the early 90s to buy a friend's cj7 and yes she wouldn't they wouldn't like they didn't like the idea of it because it was like it was a great jeep but you know the doors off the roof yeah. you know it was like no no you're not having this
1: yeah 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 no the doors the doors and the roof came off maybe a month ago and they're not going back on until you know november sorry but- <laughs> exactly uh yeah, those old Jeeps. I got the Wrangler just because I was going to – the newer one because I needed to use it as sort of a daily driver as well. But I have a, a great interest, let's put it, in uh, getting more of a collection as time goes on. I love nice. an old Cherokee. I'd love a YJ Wrangler. The CJs are beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful cars. A bunch. I, I belong to a Jeep club, and a bunch of the guys that are there, the older ones, they – have both mint cjs and completely beat to hell cjs as well that they have been off-roading for a long time and they both have their shine to them let's put that's awesome awesome okay
0: so success is so easy to talk about right we could talk about how blue earth is like growing and you're doing the right thing but failure is a hard thing to talk about um do you have like and it doesn't have to be with Blue Earth, it could be from anywhere in your life, do you have, like, a favorite failure of yours, which means, like, something you you, you thought you were so dead set sure, like, yeah, this is going to work, but it didn't. You that's failed. A... And, and what was the lesson? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: that's a very good question that I got to think about a little bit. Um, I don't know if I can necessarily point to like one specific one, to be honest with you, like one major major sure. one, if you yeah. will mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's an interesting question I guess that I guess the the, the one that comes to mind, and uh, this might not be completely uh, on topic, but i <clears throat> I hurt my back um, doing composting work when I was at one of those internships that I was telling you about, yeah, and I guess my failure in that would have been doing something about it more quickly. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, what this has taught me, if you will, is to, you know, try to be a little bit more focused on, uh, yourself, how you feel, if you will try to do a little bit better job to, um, yeah, to just try to take care of your health and stuff like that. Cause, I can tell you that, although I love <clears throat> working here and owning this business, it's definitely been a taxing process, to say the least. And maybe if I had learned my lesson when I really <laughs> wrenched my back, I would deal these days with you know less physical pain and maybe uh, a little bit more of a mental map to deal with, you know, stressful or or injuries of of both a mental or physical variety, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know if that's a perfect example, but that's, uh, my back pain reminds me daily of, uh, <laughs> some of the things that I've done wrong in my life for sure.
0: I'll give you, uh, I'm not a doctor, but, uh, if you haven't try yoga, so sure. it might help. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I, I have been told many times to do so and, you know, maybe one of these days it'll click finally and we'll yeah. be there and make it happen.
0: Yeah. All right. So a couple more questions. You've been super generous with your time. Um, if there's one way that people can start to become aware of sustainability, being green, composting, whatever we want to call all of this, what is what is the first thing everybody can do that has a significant impact?
1: Sure. This might be a little self-serving because of the the business that I run and whatnot, but I truly believe that paying attention to what you throw out is one of the best ways to connect yourself to the impact that you're having on the environment. You know what I mean? If you sit there every day and you look <clears throat> at what you put in the trash, the recycling, and hopefully in the compost, if you're doing that, it's a great way to sort of connect a physical action with a mental thought process. Um, And that lends itself, in my opinion, to sort of just a greater awareness, again, of the impact that you're having on the environment and on the world. Um, There's, again, as we talked about earlier in terms of sort of the the future impacts of climate change or the impacts of things that affect our environment that not everybody has to deal with, everybody's got to throw stuff away. Mm -hmm. So it's a great way, again, to – To be aware of that and hopefully you can take that sort of mental process or that again that thought process to other things that you do in your life you know what i mean that affect the environment Um, awareness at the end of the day just thinking about it you know what i mean that's the only that that's the pillar sort of i believe of environmentalism as a whole you know what i mean is people don't think about the impact that they're having and that leads them to not making decisions uh in their daily life that will, you know, benefit the planet or benefit anything in their life. You know what I mean? So just pay attention to the trash you throw out next time. I have customers constantly who um come to us and they say, Oh, I lived in Seattle and we had a municipal program there and now I'm in Connecticut and I've been throwing my food away for a month before I found out about you and it's been killing me inside. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, that sort of feeling if you develop that I guarantee you, it'll it'll benefit you and tangentially benefit the the world as a whole. Yeah, because you know you bring up a good
0: point. Because the easy answer is sign up for Blue Earth Compost, right? Sure that, that that's the that's the right thing to do. But like, if I live in like New Hartford, Connecticut, mm-hmm. and I what do I do with my comp? You know, I, apart from maybe start my own compost, right? Yep. Um, so I see the importance of like you guys and other organizations or whoever like like growing and 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 teaching people to do the right thing um all right if you were to meet your 18 or 21 year old self and give 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 him some advice knowing what you know now uh what what would you say to alex
1: (laughs) great question um i would that's a really good question i would tell him to focus on the things that like truly interested him at that point in time um again when you're younger you're in college you're very focused on uh other people you're focused on your sort of standing within your friend group or whatever thing you exist inside of and i feel like that can cloud or uh it can separate us from the things that really bring us sort of happiness and that focus can, can be very beneficial. So I tell him not to get, you know, (laughs) like lost in the weeds too much, if you will, and try to again, focus on the things that made him happy. Um, I tell him to probably drink a little bit less. That was, uh, uh, that definitely could have helped out with, you know, being a little bit more present for sure. Um, yeah, I just tell him to focus on, you know, what made him happy at that point in time and, Maybe we would have gotten to a lot of the things that I do now, you know, find a lot of joy in again, like the automotive stuff a little bit earlier.
0: Mm. Yeah. But I always say that everything happens for a reason. So sure. take
1: the good with the bad, as they say, right? Big Tom. I don't regret <clears throat> even with uh any of the failures like the stuff we talked about earlier or whatnot. I can thankfully pretty confidently say that I don't regret anything that's occurred. Um it's definitely brought me to where I am now awesome and uh th- this is a um,
0: final final well second to final question there there's a show on NPR called how I built this I I really enjoy it and I think it's a great question so I'm stealing it cool. um how much of your success has been pure luck and how much of it is from your like sheer brilliance and in leadership intelligence sure um uh pure luck
1: luck uh maybe not the most but i would i would say that it's it's purely down to hard work i I know i try to make this point and i never feel like i can articulate it as well as i can feel it inside of me but i cannot overstate how like valuable just uh like putting in a good day's work is it is like it's something that I feel like in America, <clears throat> especially, we've sort of denigrated a little bit. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of jobs that people do that get looked down on, if you will. Mm. <clears throat> and that is something that I have a really big problem with. I mean, <clears throat> my guys a lot like I have got it. I've got a guy in the warehouse right now. Pressure washing, rotting food off of trash cans. That's a job that not many people want to do. You know what I mean? But yeah. there's value in that. Simply by showing up and doing the job, there's intrinsic value in that. So <clears throat> I would put a lot of it down to hard work. Luck definitely factored into it quite a bit. We we don't have many competitors. You know what I mean? We've uh, we've kind of got started at the beginning of, uh, of this industry, if you will. Um, so maybe those things can, again, kind of be chalked up to luck, finding the business period, graduating at the time that I did, all that kind of stuff for sure. Um, so luck certainly played a factor, but, um, yeah, just put in that hard work. That'll get you places.
0: Very nice. And you guys are also going out for, you're doing like some kind of crowdsourcing fundraising or what have you. Let's give you a plug here. Tell me about that. What's happening.
1: Yeah, big time. So it's called a community round. Um, we're doing it through a platform called we funder. Um, basically we've been approached many, many times over the years by call it more traditional investors, whether they be individuals or other companies that, um, how do I put it? Let's say that those opportunities didn't come to fruition. Um, we weren't very satisfied in the, at the end of the day with, uh, sort of how the process turned out. So we had run a very successful crowdfunding campaign to help purchase our first dump truck, uh, about three plus years ago or so. And so we, uh, we decided to go back to that. Well, um, the community round is, is exactly that it's crowdfunding, but in terms of investment, so basically anybody can invest in blue earth compost. So instead of getting a sort of a traditional perk, like you'd get on a Indiegogo or Kickstarter campaign, you literally are buying shares in blue earth compost. So you're, you're a part owner, if you will, um, So, yeah, we've been utilizing that over the last, I'd say, month and a half or so. We've been running the campaign to try to raise money just for growth, purchasing more vehicles, um, stuff like that.
0: Where and where can people participate in that?
1: Yeah. So, again, the platform is called WeFunder. You can look up our profile there. It's right on the front page of our website as well, which is BlueEarthCompost.com. Really simple. Um, Bunch of information is on there. in terms of not only our business, but in sort of like the financial aspects of this as well. Um, So yeah, take a look. Very good. Well,
0: Alex, I wanna thank you for being so generous with your time. Um, I feel like we covered a ton of stuff and this is a good place to leave off. Any final words?
1: No, I just appreciate the opportunity for sure. Thanks for supporting the business for so long as well. Um, Yeah, man, just appreciate the opportunity. All right. And if people
0: want to find out about you, visit BlueEarthCompost.com. Exactly. Yes, sir. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Derek. There we go. That's Alexander Williams from Blue Earth Compost. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and maybe you learned a thing or two about composting and how to properly dispose of your food. I know I did. Now, if you want to find out some more info on them and maybe how to become a customer, check out blueearthcompost.com to learn more. Upfront is brought to you by Mason. Creatively obsessed and fixated on results, Mason leverages technology, entertainment, design, and culture to create bold, fearless ideas. It's time to make your brand more valuable. Challenge accepted. Now if you have a guest suggestion or you'd like to get in touch, send an email to hello at mason23.com or you could check out our new website, mason23.com. Until the next time, have a great summer and we'll see you again in September. Take care.